Hey guys, Brantley calling in again. Uh, I just wanted to call in and defend both Chapin and Jeremy for a couple of their screenplay nominations. Chapin for Booksmart and Jeremy for Us. Uh, I don't know what Lee's problem is. I I think both of them are very deserving of screenplay nomination. Uh, And really, if there was any category to nominate both of those, and I think that would be the one. Um, I think screenplay should reward some things that are creative and uh, really you know, more out there than we normally see in a lot of like awards pictures, even if the final product doesn't necessarily um, translate as well to as good of a film. I think uh, if the writing and the ideas are there, that's what should be rewarded in that category. So I'm behind both uh, Chapin and Jeremy there. Uh, I think those are both great nominations. I don't know uh, why Lee is having a, a problem with them. Okay. Well, our next, next category, guys, is Best Actor. Wow. Oh, boy. And so, uh, Lee, I'd love you to start. Kick us off, please. Number uh, five. I would love to. My number five is Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Uh, That's also my number five. Great. I will reveal this now. I, I mentioned earlier when uh, Chapin had Alan Alda in his supporting actor category how I thought that that was the second best performance of that movie. Uh, Adam Driver was the third best performance in that movie. I actually think that Ray Liotta was the best performance in that movie, but that's not a conversation we're going to get into right now. Wow. Um, Adam wait, Driver... Wait a second. He, he, Ray Liotta was the best performance? Uh, he's so good in that movie. And he wasn't... You didn't even nominate no, him. No, so, and that was, my, that was the point I was going to make, is that it speaks to the competitiveness of some of these categories. The oh, best supporting please. actor category... God is dear. so competitive. The best actor category also is, and that may be why Adam Driver is number five, because he was excellent in this movie and outacts Scarlett Johansson to a degree that I cannot even describe. Mm. And I think that's an additional credit to him. On my revisit of Marriage Story, I actually thought Scarlett Johansson was worse in it than I did the first time. Um, well, that's again, n- I mean, it's not a credit to him if because that ultimately makes the movie worse. And again, he, uh, Adam Driver is my number five as well, and I think he's really good in this movie. And but I'm, my point is that if you if he's acting in almost every scene, every emotional scene across from somebody that just isn't pulling it off to the level that he is, and he's still able to make those scenes work. Oh, I see what you're saying. So just in I the moment, to, yeah. So I have to give him so much credit because. He just brought so many layers to his character that I think were unspoken and that I think in other scenes were delivered through the dialogue in, in uh, amazing fashion. And I really like Adam Driver. I think he's a great actor. I'm excited that uh, he's getting the attention that he deserves here. I, I wouldn't mind, perhaps, if he made a few less movies than he has been doing lately just to maybe focus on some more interesting roles but uh, this is a great performance even though it's the third best in the movie it's still number five on my best actor list yeah I mean the thing that's that's really tough about what he does in this movie is he's he's able to pull off like both being this like great dad and also the anger like the anger and uh, just and also like just how lost he is at times. It's like what is going on, sort of thing. Like you just feel the frustration, but you also see when he's not 
he's not behaving in the best way. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a great performance. Yeah, and I think it's you know we the film has been criticized and we talked a little bit about this that it's more the man story and I think that we've explained that a little bit in that you know um, you you sort of see what he did wrong in the marriage is sort of told to you rather than you see it. Um, and so, but I do think he carries the emotional weight of the film. Um, I, I like his mo- his more quieter moments, the moments where things are sort of happening to him and he sort of can't believe it. And he's like, confused. He's yeah. confused. Yeah. And it's really, it's really powerful. And, and not just confused, but you see him being like, wait a sec. He's like trying to catch up. Like yeah. he's, He's realizing he's he's hearing things from either Charles Johansson or from Laura Dern or even from his own lawyers, and he's like, "But wait a second, no, I thought I explained to you that that's not what we're discussing." And like he just seems so lost in this scenario and this thing that's happening to him, and I think he pulls that off so well. Yeah, because he's gen- like he tries to be genuine, like he just goes yeah. into it thinking this is what's going to happen, but obviously gets blindsided. All right, Chapin, my number, number five. five comes from a newcomer to the Fixies, um, Robert De Niro for nice. The Irishman. I'm glad this is on your list. Um, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see how often The Irishman comes up going forward. Um, I Honestly, I, I I thought De Niro was fantastic in this movie. I, he, to me, was the best thing about it. Um, he's the titular character, and, you know, I think he just carries the weight of the film I love his subtlety here, you know, you it, and it's a performance, honestly, that we haven't seen him do before, um, or at least in the context of a Scorsese film. You know, he's kind of passive, and, and Jeremy, you and I talked about in that film what really worked for us was how things are sort of happening to him, and he's kind of adapting to these criminal, uh, criminal circumstances, and, you know, like he's doing things he doesn't want to do, but that's just the way life is, and boy, I really feel like he pulled that off. And you know what? I agree with you guys. I, I don't think the uh, I'm De Niro at 25, you know, with the stiffness of a 75-year-old worked very well. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. what did work was that he appears to be a big man, a big, powerful man, and he's not that. Yeah. He's actually quite demure and small in real life, and you really feel that both in terms of the visuals and the effect of that, but also in his performance. He feels like a man who could, you know, kill you. Right. I, I, one thing I really appreciated about this performance, and it took a revisit to allow me to appreciate this, is, is just how out of his element he is. We're not used to that from De Niro. We're used to seeing him in these types of movies in charge and in control. And, like, even a movie outside of Scorsese's world, think about him in The Deer Hunter. Like, his character is meant to, like, be the big character to be in charge to handle things to fix things and here he's sort of just kind of learning as he goes and i think the second time around i really started to get that and he has this kind of stutter throughout the movie which is great and i think it lends to that idea that he's not really sure what to say he's not really sure how to act he's not really sure if he's doing something right or something wrong and i think it's just a great choice that he made to play this character and it works really well I wonder for me if it if it hurt my uh you know thoughts on his performance a little bit and he's definitely an honorable mention for me and, and at one point was on the list and I think he's great in it but the fact that he is so tentative and can't like so passive and and lets everything happen to him like 
it's almost like because his character can't make a decision is he making a decision as an actor which he right. obviously is but that sort of washes over you mm-hmm. yeah he played off type not quite the degree as pesci did but i think he this is a different type of performance for him in this in this type of movie very nice Lee, you're number four. Uh, I'm up. Number four is Kelvin Harrison Jr. in Waves. Oh, fuck. Um, all right, hmm. so I ha- a couple things here. I really liked this performance when I saw the movie. Um, you guys at least inferred that I had a lot of thoughts on this movie. Um, and it was an intense performance. You know, he was really... It, it was really a very big, at times, scene-chewing performance and loud performance, but... Then, just out of curiosity, for a couple of reasons, I went back and I saw two other movies that uh, he was in, and I, and I counted this as you know fixing preparation. Mm. So even though they weren't 2019 movies, oh, one yeah. of them was. It was actually Loose, yep. which came out earlier in the year, and then Tisha It Comes Little. at Night, which is also directed by uh, Trey Edward Schultz. And he's in both of those movies. He's he's a, um, a le- the lead in Loose, and he plays this very like proper high schooler, this very educated, smart high school that comes from a, a war-torn country and is in, adopted by, like, rich white parents. Uh, but he's also, like, kind of manipulative, but he's not nearly as intense as he is in in Waves. And it's his performance is a little off-putting. And, and then in it, it comes at night, he's a, he's a very weak character. And then you see him in this role, and what a transition. Like, you would never know this is the same actor, and you would know. Ne- and I saw it in reverse, but if you had seen those two movies, then saw him in this, you would never know he was capable of this. And I think it's great. He, he lets go. He really lets the emotion take over, which is important for what happens to him. And it comes off very authentic and believable, and I was really, really impressed. Can't wait to see what else he has to do. I hope it's it's interesting maybe more gritty roles like this as opposed to some of the other ones i've seen him in but uh i'm curious what jeremy thought chapin you got to see this movie um i thought he was really good in it but in comparison to uh, taylor russell who plays his sister who i you know gave my number one uh, nomination to i I could see him trying Mm. like she's so effortless and and just um there you are know, scenes where I can see that too. Yeah. Where where she just like you just you just want to watch her. Whereas he he's good again. He's really good. Um, uh, an honorable mention for me, but like you could see him. It's such a an emotional and weighty role, and it and it turns emotional and weighty really fast in this movie. Um, and I don't think he quite can pull off that turn. Um, and. Yeah, so he, he he's not quite there for me, and I didn't see those other movies, but in this movie, he's not quite there. Yeah, I like I can't wholeheartedly recommend Loose to you, Jeremy, but I almost want you to see it so you can see the difference in the performances because he's not bad in Loose, right? But but like he, even if just, there is like it, it, even if there is a, sure. a giant difference, like I, I have to hold this better, movie right? by itself, and yeah. and I don't, I don't, he's not quite there for me. Right, and I, w- I don't want to say that yeah. the difference between the two performances, the reason he made my list, he was going to be on it anyway. I just think it was sort of amazing to see that he could have that range. My, uh, th- I'm really looking forward to seeing this. I love that we're we're gonna t- we're talking about these um, actors who we don't know that much about, and it'll be exciting to see where they happen um, as we go forward. My number four is Adam Driver. We talked about him. So, um, Jeremy, what's your number four? Uh, it's another Adam. It's Adam Sandler. In Uncut Gems. Great. 
Um, fantastic. Well, I'm like, I think it 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 may be my favorite Adam Sandler performance. Um, wow. And that includes Punch Drunk Love. I mean, I I just he was like it's in his eyes. There's just something uh, like he's totally. transformed. Mm. Uh, I love watching him like this. He he makes this character his own. It's like that is its own thing. It's not even Adam Sandler anymore. That it's that character and. Um, Oh, but you don't think there's some Sandler in there that I think, I think that makes there's it more better. John Turturro in there than Adam Sandler, right? Um, <laughs> uh, like, uh, John Turturro's somewhere being like, "God damn it!" Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "I could have had that role," but he was too busy doing the Jesus sh- rolls. It goes to show how how much he he can he can transform himself if he wants to. Um, he, he, you can tell he put everything into this. It's just like this character is. All right. So when I was like reading a lot of reviews, everyone's just like, uh, there's a lot of anxiety to this character. He's self-destructive. He's not sympathetic. I found I was rooting for him. Yeah, I don't know. Am char- I on like? Well, I think both things no, are true. The though. charm, his charm. Oh, I think. I, but I don't think he's unsympathetic. I think not there is a, a, a sympathy to him. Like uh, there was. I mm-hmm. wanted. I wanted him to succeed. I know he's self-destructive. Um, but I don't think he's so self-destructive to the point where, like, you're just like, what are you doing? I, I, I he doesn't mean, know it. He doesn't know, like, he doesn't understand it, but I, I like, I don't know how to put this. Uh, he, like, the, the him being as self-destructive as he was didn't take me out of wanting him to succeed. Does yeah. that make it sense? Totally. Like, Absolutely. It's like you're... Yeah, that's definitely And I true. think that go, the you're credit more, goes you're to You're more Sandler. wrapped up in his goals, his, his, um... His uh, what he his desires as a character than you are in like oh well, I know yeah. as an audience member that he should not be gambling and doing a five way parlay on a Celtics game. <laughs> <laughs> but also you know you understand his decisions. Yeah, like that's who he is. Yep, like you get it. This is how I win. All right, Lee, uh, what, I, I was oh, blown sorry. away by him in this, and I'm uh, he was great. And then the fact that he's uh, only number four on my list it shows how good of a uh, year it was for. Uh, that category. Lee, number like three. everything else in this movie, that it can his performance continues to grow on me. Um, am I up? Number three, please. Number three is Robert De Niro and the Irishman. Hey, nice. I uh, like I said, this is this this benefited quite a bit from a, a repeat viewing of the Irishman, as did a lot of things about that movie. But I just I think he's great. I I said I said my biggest point, which was just getting used to or start understanding the character that he's playing maybe takes a second viewing. Yeah. Um, my number three is Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, we talked a lot about Dalton. it. Uh, what? Rick fucking Dalton. Rick, you're Rick fucking Dalton. Um, there's... When we we we've said so many times, we've talked about how many roles Leo was supposed to play that he didn't, um, and it's like, yeah, that wouldn't work. You know, Leo wouldn't be good in that role. But one thing we do know about Leo is that he can play vul- vulnerable very well. But he mm-hmm. he redefined vulnerable for me in in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was a different level. We've seen him, you know, 
insecure in a marriage. We've seen him insecure in his own psychology, his own mental health. We've seen him insecure um, as a uh, mole in a um, in a criminal organization, but we've never seen him insecure as an actor. And that was he did such a good job with that in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You really just see like God, like you know, maybe it isn't so easy being a an actor, you know, and um, uh, I, I loved him in this movie. I want to see more of him and 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 Brad Pitt. Um, you know, Leo is probably my favorite actor, I guess, and um, it's great to see him continue to be um, one of our leading actors and one of the more interesting roles of the year. Yeah, it's it's Leo's so interesting because he, he like. He's a, he's the biggest movie star in the world, and that colors things when you go into watching his performances. But we all love him so much, and we're like, uh, he's a great actor. And then you see him doing a role where he has to be this sort of down-and-out, vulnerable, aging actor. And for him to embrace it so much and ha- honestly seem to have so much fun with it and have so much fun with Brad Pitt, like, he just knows how to take these roles and make them work. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, okay. But so what, what, I, what I would add to that is that he, you mentioned he's, like, the, you know, arguably the biggest movie star in the world. And what something a lot of movie stars struggle with is losing themselves in roles making you forget that they're the biggest movie star in the world i don't know how he does it but he does you watch his character throughout all his movies including this one you don't watch leonardo dicaprio playing somebody playing it well or otherwise mm. and i think that's impossible yeah I it seems like it should I, be impossible I, that's what i was trying to get at by saying he was the biggest movie star in the world it's just like the, the fact he's able to do that yeah to convince amazing. you that he's not in this movie yeah all right, Jeremy, what's your number three? Uh, it is Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. Man. Well, I'll just uh, say that's that's my number two. That's your number two. Okay, yeah. great. So here we go back to empathy. It's another character that's trying to maneuver through the world, but also figure out how to do it with the most compassion and love and understanding and also do it in a realistic way where you know he 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 struggles there's struggle throughout it it's not just one guy who's you know playing the the Jesus role per se and is, and can just do it like he struggles and he shows that on his face and he tries to stick to his convictions and we see with his um the flashbacks how just tough it is and how tough he's had it to, to do that and where he's failed at that as well um but throughout all of that you have uh an actor who can p- portray this the empathy that's needed um to continue and to persist while having that as his background that's such um, a good point jeremy i think it, i think he you know what i have come to understand about you know religion is this and 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 as someone who is such a religious figure as a cardinal or then a pope is that you religion is something and sin you know you're always wrestling with those things it's a it's a struggle there's a tension between what you what you'd like to be what your what your the most chaste version of yourself is and your sin 
And you see that in him. You see that embodied in him, in his humility. And you see that compared to um, uh, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins', Hopkins there, character, yeah. who has a little bit of, of arrogance. And, right. It's, uh, it's past him. He's already moved past yeah, that point of yeah. his life where he can, that, it's not, it, it, that had maybe got him to where he was. I don't know. But like, it's not there anymore for Anthony Hopkins. Uh, character and Jonathan Price character has this sincerity to have these conversations um, with Anthony Hopkins character and and be true to him and that's a hard thing to pull off that's really is and again um, it's a character that has empathy for others and is empathetic and uh, there you go so he's your number two yes my number two so Lee what's your number two my number two has been mentioned, and I have nothing else to add. Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, that is my number two as well. <laughs> and this is going to be close. So okay. my, uh, you're up, Lee, number one. My number one is Jonathan Price from The Two Popes. Wow. Again, nothing else to add. You guys really covered all the points I had uh, written down. Okay, that's up to me. My number one. Well, I have a number one, too. So, but. Yeah. Oh, are you? Oh up? man, I'm nervous about what Jeremy's. Well, Jeremy, why don't so, you go? It's going to be go one ahead. of two things. Uh, again, I have to go back to my empathy thing, and it is Paul Walter oh, Hauser and Richard Jewell. Okay. Um, I thought it was going to be jo- Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. See, I no, was but, I was worried that I was going to have Adam Sandler, or not Adam Sandler. I was going to have um, Brad Pitt as my number five instead of Paul Walter Hauser, and Jeremy was going to fly to Oregon and kick me in the nuts. <laughs> um. So, I mean, I, I texted you guys when you were doing the Richard Jewell podcast and I couldn't do it because I was having a baby. Um, yeah, uh, that uh, it was my favorite performance of the year at that point. And despite what I may think about the movie in total, like his performance, w- what he does with this character and how many times I just like wanted to hug him yeah. um, and say, it's going to be all right. Like he's an idiot. A lot of times he's an idiot and he, he's his own worst enemy, but there's a sincerity to him and you care about him. You feel for him. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to navigate through the world being the person that he is. Um, I think what's and, the, most, it's tough, the most powerful thing but, to say about that performance is you want the movie to be as good as he is, as right, nuanced exactly. as he 100%, 100%. is. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And he, he's, he's an actor I really like, and I like seeing him and stuff. I thought he's great in Itania. He's funny. He's so good in Itania. Um, yeah, so. But for, you, you mentioned that he he's, he's, he's an idiot, but he's not as big an idiot as he could have played that character or the movie no could've. no like, he understands that's what makes it layered he understands when he's being an idiot like he he knows he knows he probably shouldn't say certain things but he he's, he feels compelled to to, to say them he mm-hmm. feels compelled to let people know that he's on the right side of history um and yeah, yeah i, I I don't, I, you know, it's such a tough year, and like that's one of my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio performances ever. And then for him to still be number one, it's it's it it goes like I said, it goes to this theme of this year of empathy, and he I think embodies it more than any other uh, performance this year. 
Awesome. Yeah, it was so hard. I just wish this movie could have been better. Like you had Kathy Bates as well, who's good, and Paul Walter Hauser is great. I just, I couldn't justify for myself getting them on the list anywhere because I just felt these movie, this movie just wasn't very good and just, I don't know, didn't deserve credit. <laughs> you know, so it is a hard. But you got to give the people who who gave it their all. Sure. Credit. Yeah, and it's a hard. It's a it's a fine line. So, but I'm glad he um he got on your list. Chapin, you're number one, right? Yep. My number one, Adam Sandler, Uncut Gems. Wow. Yeah, this, this is, is going to be really tight close. Race. It's um, be really close. So uh, just to let you guys know, the, my number six was Joaquin Phoenix, Fred the Joker. As long as he didn't make a list. Yeah, irrelevant. All we'll, right. We'll make a note, cut that out of the podcast. And the fixie goes to <laughs> Jonathan Price, the two popes. There we go. I'm happy with so, that. So... 18 points. Leonardo DiCaprio, 17 points. Wow. So Leo, in Leo's uh, storied career, he's still never won a fixie. Ugh. That's crazy. Ah. That's crazy. Hey, guys. It's Sierra, and I am here to tell you why you should hate the movie, the reboot, I should say, of Little Women. I've been getting a lot of backward glances about the fact that I disliked it so much. And honestly, I'm bouncing them back at you because I don't understand how you liked it that much. First of all, the first movie was amazing. Winona Ryder forever. (sighs) Let's get into it. Okay, so number one reason why I disliked it was because Amy, as a child... Her voice is very deep. And then they're just overacting her trying to be this, like, 12-year-old girl. It's like, come on. Get someone who has a younger voice. They're like, her voice is very deep. Anyway, I digress. Number two, Amy is the worst part of the story, Little Women. You're not supposed to sympathize with her even more. And they gave her more storyline. I just, like, I didn't like it. Not for me. Number three... All of the actors, pretty much, except for Laura Dern, are English actors. Why are you hiring English actors? Well, I guess Timothy Chalamet as well. But English actors just get hire Americans. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Just annoyed me. Number four, Timothy Chalamet. Okay, I love you, but the more and more I see him acting, he's doing all these weird mannerisms And especially for that time period, they just really, truly don't make any sense. Like, these little, like, nudgy things that he does with his head. And it just is, like, I thought it was, like, cute for Call Me By Your Name. But now I'm just realizing it's his own personality that he keeps inserting into each character that he plays. And it just truly doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. Um, Let's see. I feel like there are a couple different things. But uh, I think that was enough to list. Um, I do love Greta Gerwig. I would like to say that. I love Saoirse Ronan. I think that's how you say her name. Not quite sure. There are things that I was so excited about for this movie, but I just truly, I don't know. It was a, it's a real hit or not hit, a real miss for me. Um, I would also like to note though, that I was extremely hangry when I watched it. So that may or may not have played a tiny role in why I disliked it so much. Anyway. This has been Sierra Seconds. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, guys. So we're going to move on to Best Actress, the ladies. Um, and I would love to start. I guess it's my, is it my turn to start? I think it is. 
Go for it. Okay. My number five. Oh, fuck. Um, my number five is Caitlin Devers from Booksmart. Yeah, she was good. <laughs> She's, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's fine. Um, yeah, I, I also have a number five from a uh, sort of comic. Okay, why don't you uh, go ahead and, and give us your number five? It's uh, Charlize Theron from Longshot. Oh, okay. Yeah, I liked her a lot. Yeah, she was really good in that. She is always amazing. I didn't see Bombshell, but I'm assuming she was amazing in it. Um, she was fine. But Longshot's maybe my second favorite comedy of the year. Um, I really enjoyed that movie. Uh, we obviously saw it fun, yeah. so early in the year. Um, but she's just like, even though it's a comedy and there's you know outrageous scenes like there she she gets to have those like moments of solitude where you just you see the weariness of of her responsibilities and you it's almost like she's in a different movie like you yeah i I heard a podcast talking about how she brought the best out of um seth rogan yeah, so true. He was great. So true. He was really yeah. good, right? Like, and yeah. and you he see is. the way that like these two, you know, like a comedy actor, someone known for more for writing and et cetera, but he meets with an actress known for drama, and then they just bring the both the best out of both of them. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those movies. I'm like, I I need to mention somehow on the fixies, um, but it just never made any other category. But of course, uh, Charlize Theron can save anything. It's really amazing. It's a, in a, in a, an example of how good an actress she is. I know, Jeremy, you haven't seen Bombshell, and I don't know that. Uh, well, we'll see if she if she ends up on uh, on this list for her performance in Bombshell. But the fact that she has a fixie nominee for Long Shot, great. In addition to the performance she's gotten so much credit for this year, um, are amongst the other award shows, is just a, a, a credit to how good she is. What's your number five, um, Lee? My number five also comes Wait, from real quick. Comedy. Real, real yeah. quick. Did she win? She won a fixie, right? Uh, no, I don't think she won. Uh, for Tully, for she, Tully, yeah. She was. I, I wonder. She was my win. number no, one. Because Olivia Coleman won. Who? Oh right. She was. Okay, great. All right, moving on. Um, my number five also comes from a comedy, a movie that Jeremy briefly mentioned already on this podcast. Florence Pugh in Fighting with My Family. She was my number six. She's so good in this. I haven't and seen this it. Was oh. my, this was my introduction to her. I had never seen her before. I remember when this trailer for this movie came out, and it was like directed by Stephen Merchant. I was just like, what the fuck? How the mighty have fallen. And then this movie was really funny, oh, and then was she great. was so good in this. And it Makes you realize she's British. Yep. <laughs> God, she was good. And, like, again, she's really funny. She pulls off this, like, really hilarious dry sense of humor she also pulls off like kind of whatever british equivalent to white trash is right she does and also like because page is british right okay and like what also like what is this movie how is this a movie this is about uh, two british siblings it's a a true story i know i know it's fascinating I but it does. I know it's a true story, but it doesn't seem like something that would be worthy of being made into a movie. Oh, I disagree. I think it. I think it is. But anyway, that point aside, I just think she she grounds this movie because uh, it is silly at times, um, and she she has. I think she has a lot of fun with it, but she also uh, infuses some heart into this movie. And even at times when I feel like some of the more emotional and 
serious parts of this movie aren't particularly well written. She handles it with ease. Like I said, she is a very effortless actress. Uh, so again, it was a it was a really pleasant introduction for me to Florence Pugh earlier in 2019 when well, I saw this. I'm glad you had it as number five because I went back and forth between her and uh, Theron for my number five. Um, but yeah, she's what a year for her. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, my number four is Honor Swinton Burn for the souvenir. Man, I thought she was good in this movie, but like, I just couldn't wrap my head around nominating this movie for anything. Really? I like this movie. Uh, I liked it a lot. And I, I liked it fine. I just... I fell for her. I thought she was totally charming in this movie. Like, there's something about her that you're just like... Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really different type of movie than a lot of the ones we've been talking about. It's a little bit more in my, like, wheelhouse in terms of style and um, things are happening to her. She's a little naive to what, what, what... Not to give too much away, but to what's happening to her and... Um, you know, she's making the world's worst student film, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love but, those uh, movies where these people can just kind of live these sort of, char- well, she's not living a charmed life. but well, she, like, she is. I she mean, can, her, her family yeah, is super rich. <laughs> her family's super rich. She's just like at film school making this terrible movie, living <laughs> with a druggie, like just sort of enjoying, you know. Enjoying yeah. life naively, not realizing how bad her her uh, boyfriend has it with his drug addiction. Um, but you, but know, the, you know, yeah, the it, style of this movie is laid back. You know, it's like hands off, and I think it takes a a certain kind of quality of an actor to really stand out in a film like that. I really loved. Uh, he didn't make my list, but I really loved the the character who plays her boyfriend, who as we as I mentioned is going to play. Um, uh, who's he? He's in Mank. He's gonna play um, uh, Orson Welles in Mank, and oh, he he, he is a perfect like him, yeah. looking Orson yeah. Welles. And so, um, what is his name? Because he was one that Tom, I did. Tom Burke. Tom Burke. Yeah, I I considered him for a, a, best supporting a nomination. Yeah, I thought he was really good, and I also considered cinematography for this movie. But yeah, um, yeah, that's my number four. So uh, next, Jeremy, I'm up. All right, uh, my number four is Elizabeth Moss from Her Smell. Nice. Man, I, never, uh, I have to admit I never finished this movie. <laughs> what a hard movie to watch. So the first the first half of this movie is tough. This first, The first half of this movie is just intense and not intense in a good way. It is anxiety-inducing. Is like it boring? You, I thought it was boring. Really? No, yeah. you want you no. The first half isn't boring. It's just like it's it's almost too much. You, she's just Elizabeth Moss plays this uh, rock and roller that's just totally out of control on drugs and alcohol, and um, she she just is the worst kind of person to her friends and her family, um, and. It's it's another movie that's sort of a tale of two halves, whereas the second half she gets sober. Um, this movie would not work at all without her performance. It, it's a, it incredibly tough performance to pull off. Um, it is hyper realistic. It the dialogue is super quick. Like I don't even know, know what she's saying half the time, yeah. um, but it, it, she she just she brings this 
level of intensity to it. And and she brings a level of intensity to both halves of this movie, even when she gets sober and then realizing the damage she's done to the people around her. Um, and the people around her realizing their dependence on her, too, um, because she was a rich rock star and uh, they needed her to keep going. So uh, it, it's not a great movie, but it's definitely a good movie. And she's definitely the standout of the film. Yep. Lee, number four. My number four is Lupita Nyong'o for Us. Oh, uh, such a terrible pick. You should never pick that. (laughs) So if you haven't figured it out, I mean, I have a lot of issues with this movie. Um, Chief among them may be the motivations of her character, specifically the Adelaide character that she plays. But look, she plays the role well. I mean, she obviously transforms herself into this character of Red, which is the thing that's getting the most attention and perhaps deservedly so. You know, it's not just in the the voice that she does, but also her eyes, the way she walks, like all of those things. How does she do that with her eyes? Like, it's so freaky. Like, no makeup in the world is going to be able to get you something that intense and freaky. So, So all that's there, and it's great. And but the Adelaide character, you know, herself, essentially, and that, you know, I I, once you get to the end of the movie and you try to figure out who's who, I think there's some major plot holes that exist. And I have issues there. But you have to set that aside and say she plays this character. Well, she plays an anxious person. She's you know, she's tries to be a good mother. She tries to have a good time with her family and her friends, but she's always on edge. And I think that is portrayed nicely uh, and not obviously. So, you know, both aspects of her performance, the duality of the performance are, are both done effectively. So the one nomination for us I have is her performance. Great. Well, at least you can recognize some good in it. <laughs> Chapin is conspicuously no quiet. I, I liked her she i mean she's such a talented actress um and sure. I, and yeah um my number three is are you on three or four three right who is your four honor Swinton burn oh that's right okay my number four is my number three is ashling franciosi i was like i have a google thing pulled up to pronounce her name from um the nightingale that's also my number three. Oh, beautiful! Didn't make my list. Uh, you know, this is like this is. I like believe the, it. I mean, uh, this is like an inter- this will be an interesting discussion. But go ahead. This is like the the DiCaprio Revenant performance of 2019. You know, she goes <laughs> no. through so much, and she's like she's put through, you know, everything, and um, I I, I just I loved her strength in the film. Um, but her vulnerability is right next to it. It's, yep, that too. That's, what's that's great too. about it. Mm-hmm. She's not afraid to be afraid. Jeremy, let's hear. I want to hear what you have to say. I just didn't believe it. I mean, she. This is the most violent, intense, hard to watch movie of the year that wasn't a documentary. <laughs> like, I mean, it, he might be right. It, it was so fucked up. I mean, everything. They pulled no punches. I mean, every. Every murder scene was right there. They didn't cut away. There was several rape scenes. There was baby death. There, it was just, it was a hard movie as a viewer to to watch on that level and very much on purpose. But then 
her performance didn't match that intensity of the movie. Mm. I don't know how you perform like like you're you've been raped and your husband's been murdered and your baby's been murdered and you've killed the guy by stabbing him and, and like that like I, she did i don't know how you do it but i don't i didn't see it there i just oh, I didn't disagree. see that in her eyes i there was like i i just felt like once you couldn't look through her soul, which I think you needed to be able to do. But again, that's just like a tall order for anybody. I don't know how you do. I don't think she was bad. Well, I yeah, <laughs> Jeremy, I think you're expressing things that I, I found critical of the movie. Um, and But, I mean, she just, wow. Uh I mean, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of speechless with what she went through for that film, and I I, I disagree. I think she she's the embodiment what her character of went the emotion. Through? Yeah, what what her character went through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was horrific. But see, I think I I feel like I would agree with Jeremy if she tried to play this as just a hundred percent revenge tour, but that's not what happens in this movie. Like she spoiler alert she does kill one person but when she's confronted with the opportunity to like exact revenge the way she pictured it she doesn't because she's either scared or vulnerable and not able to do that and i think that's an amazing choice both in the screenwriting and in her performance to be able to express that yeah. you know you th- you think this movie's going to go a certain direction and and like i said just be this like revenge tour you see these horrible horrible things happen to her and it seems like it's going in that direction, but then things go differently. And I think it's all because of who that character is and who she captures as that character. And it all makes sense. Like you, you believe it because you wouldn't, you don't believe that this little small woman would be able to <laughs> successfully avenge the death of her husband and child against all these soldiers. So, but that's not what happens. So, it is believable as a result. Jeremy, what's your number three? Uh, it's Honor Swinton Byrne in The Souvenir. Hey! God, uh, I lose this one. Yeah, I, I I was charmed by her. Charmed by her? <laughs> yeah. And she's exploring herself? She was just... Ex- she was. She was exploring herself. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I mean, I think I sort of said it all with your pick, Chapin, but... Um, for somebody who's sort of just gliding through life, you want to kind of glide there with her. Yeah. Um, and uh, she hasn't done much previous to this, and uh, I'm curious to see what she does next. We'll we'll see that in the souvenir too. <laughs> <laughs> We're all looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, that's not a joke. It's coming. I know. I know it is. So it's my turn, right? Yeah. Yep. My number two is Mame Bientasane from Atlantics. Atlantics. Man, that's interesting. Yeah, I she was good. I loved her, and I mean, um, you know, you've we had this with Ash, Aisling, whatever her name is, and, and Honors went and burned to some extent too, where um, a lot of things are happening to these women, and they're um, they're different degrees of flummox and different degrees of, of, of oppressed by this. And she arguably has the, the, the least amount of agency um, of the, of the other two I mentioned, but um, God, so much is told in her face. And 
um, you know, this year is unique because there are so many movies with subtitles that um, I enjoyed here. And I didn't, it's almost as if I didn't need to read the subtitles with her because you could see it all in her face. You could see so much with her. Um, she's it's in- so funny you say that because I that I was rewatching some of that movie and I found myself because I was like rewatching it and working on my fixie list so I found myself not reading the subtitles for like two thirds of it and I was still getting everything from yeah, her right exactly it's kind of crazy okay damn that's the one I'm wishing I saw Jeremy you're number two uh, Lupita Nyong'o in Us. Oh, f- uh, she she was amazing in this, absolutely amazing. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what else to say. Like she was that that her as Red is like one of the creepiest performances without having uh, makeup or yeah. sort of some sort of alteration either with CGI or voice enhancement or anything <laughs> that I've ever seen. We should do the rest of the podcast like that. Okay, it's terrifying. And, uh, she, I mean, she just, why do you think she doesn't deserve credit for that? No, I do. I do. I just, for a, I think she's great. It's just a movie I don't like. Gotcha. Lee, number two. All right. So my number two, I'm actually, I'm a little surprised this isn't on your list and I'm making the assumption that our number ones may be the same, a but unanimous my number two number is, one? yeah, I think we might have our first unanimous number one. My number two is Florence Pugh in Midsommar, her mm-hmm. second nomination for me in this category. Oh, wow. That's the first time ever. I think that's a first too, right? Um, I talked a lot about what I liked about this when we discussed this movie. I think it's just, again, a very natural performance. She just like behaves in a very natural and believable way throughout this movie, even though this movie kind of goes in these like ridiculous directions. Um, you know, she she does the blank stare so effectively, like you and she does the cry, the the lean over cry so well, right? It, like the overly exaggerated, overacting type things that are required for this role, she pulls that off. I mean, I don't, I, I, yeah. I as as much praise as we've given her throughout this podcast, and as good a year as she's had, I don't know that I can totally put my finger on what she continues to do so well. I think it just, like I've said, it's effortless, it's natural. Uh, but it's also very versatile, as we've seen. Yep. So, I mean, I mean, amazing. like, I enjoyed it, and I thought she was fine in it. But yeah, I would put uh, her in fighting with family ahead of. That's Midsummer. interesting. Wow. But, you That's, know, yeah. like, now we're splitting hairs. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And obviously, both made my list. For all right. You, so, do we all say the number one at the same number time? One is... I mean, it's not even a question, right? I'm trying to think of something clever. Like, what <laughs> I else? I was trying to come up with somebody, <laughs> too. Oh, Saoirse Ronan and Little Women. Saoirse Ronan, Little Women, the first Incredible. unanimous. Um, Guys, is, right, who wants is, to kick it off? Is this the best performance of the year? Yes. Uh, yep. I think yes. I think so, and I think it sort of embodies all the sort of stuff we've been talking about with all the other performances. The the kindness, the empathy, the likability, the struggle, like everything you get pieced from the best of all these other performances, um, she sort of does in this one performance. Yep. I mean, it is... Effervescent. Uh, you just never want to stop watching her. And she um, she called... Greta Gerwig and yeah, said, she called Greta I'm your Joe, which is such a Joe move to begin with. Yep, but yeah. like, how lucky is Greta Gerwig? Classic like, Joe. who else yeah. would she put in that role? I know, oh, yeah, herself. I guess, I guess your cast is that. Well, what? who so, else would be? I um, I, I was thinking about 
this, and I, I don't know that I can definitively say this, but I just feel like the best scene of acting that I saw this year is the the scene with Joe and Laurie when Laurie proposes. Yeah, I mean, to her. If you want to, if you want to understand what people say when they mean chemistry between two actors, oh my god, the two right? of them yeah. were so yeah. fantastic with each other. But this is the point. I, this is what's amazing. All right, so those two, those two twenty-five-year-old actors, put together the scene of the year. In a year that included scenes with De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci, DiCaprio and Pitt, Charlize Theron, Nicole Kidman, and Margot Robbie, Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price, Meryl Streep. I mean, this is the next generation of, of actors. These these are the two. They're both now now multiple Fixie winners, and it's going to be that way for Fixies to come. Yep. God, she was just so fun to watch. I mean, that sort of end of the day is like... Where what it comes down to every scene she was in, she just played it perfectly. You just understood her motivations and why she was saying what she was saying, so, and that's what you ask of an actor. Lee, who does the fixie go to? <laughs> <laughs> Honor Swinton Byrne. <laughs> uh, well, who's Ronan, second place? Unanimous choice, twenty-one points in a landslide win. Wow. Second place. Lupita Nyong'o and Ashling Franchosi for the with ten points. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. And I'm I am so happy with that result. Couldn't be happier. Me too. Hey guys, this is Tyson, your number one fan. I've been putting this off for a while. Uh, I think primarily because I just had hoped to be able to see more this year. Um, I didn't get to see as many movies as I would have liked, and I was pretty disappointed with. The movies that I did see, um, I, I thought The Irishman was too long and and kind of scattered, and um, I I thought Joker was extremely disappointing. It has such a rich text to draw from, and it could have been such a cool idea, and it was just like really poorly written, poorly executed. Uh, and even though I did enjoy Joaquin Phoenix's performance, I thought it was wasted in this movie. Um, Star Wars was just a heartbreaker, you know. I. I've been such a big Star Wars nerd my whole life, and and to, um, you know, you always get so fired up anytime one of those movies is going to come out, and, and they, it, it's just like, it's sad that they couldn't stick the landing on something that's such a big deal in, uh, to me. And other than that, um, I listened to a bunch of the podcast today, and I had a couple of notes I wanted to give you guys. I thought Lee's take about boyhood uh, versus Birdman was atrocious. Um, I think when a movie is as innovative and sort of groundbreaking as that movie was, then the best picture of the year can be about an achievement just as much as it can be about the best film. Uh, I also thought that you guys, uh, you need a statute of limitations on your movie opinions. If you haven't seen a movie in years or since theaters, it, you can't go around saying Tree of Life is better than Moneyball. I mean, what a fucking dumb thing to say. Other than that, uh, I love you guys. Keep them coming. Uh, we'd like a beers episode. There's like a real groundswell for that. So when the the largest uh, award ceremony in known to man is is come and gone, I think you guys should get back to that and, and have fun. That's the best part of this podcast is that you guys have been friends for so long. And when you let your hair down and take your ooh, critics' hats off, uh, the, those episodes are a lot of fun. So keep them coming. Hello, Film Fix. Uh, this is Sean Yoptrick. Thank you guys for uh, having me on to nominate my best picture. And my best picture is The Joker. Socially, it has struck a chord because, um, 
you know, there are not many films made nowadays that do address uh, some sort of uh, mental illness. And uh, in my opinion, this is a film about what happens behind uh, the Instagram posts. And of course, it's, uh, you know, made to be an exaggerated version of that. Um, but, you know, when people usually post to social media, it's about basically the highlights of their life when, um, you know, behind that might be the crying uh, clown that's forcing a smile. Man. Best director. Best director. We're here, guys. Lee, that's up to you. That's, let's have you start, Jeremy. You're next, and I'm third. All right. My number five is Fernando Ramirez for The Two Popes. Yeah. Um, a lot of what Jeremy's been talking about with this movie, he made something interesting out of something kind of simple. I mean, he took a conversation piece and did unique things with it, you know, you made interesting choices with music, with camera angles, with the types of shots, with his editing. I liked all the decisions he made. Uh, when you had scenes that needed exposition, instead of doing that, he used visuals to explain how the Pope was elected. I think this was a maybe, you guys argued, obvious choices he made, but very smart choices he made to make some make this movie very interesting. It's uh, a great pick. Great. That's a I great you pick. Let's just say it was a great pick. Uh, so I'm up next. Um, I'm going to go with Quentin Tarantino in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Man. Um, Damn it. Like sometimes with <laughs> sometimes with, <laughs> Lee, I can hear him getting angry. <laughs> I can literally hear him getting angry. Uh, with movies, you have to take the totality of what the accomplishment was. And in this movie, between the performances he got, the screenplay he wrote, um, the landscape that he was able to portray, uh, he just, he had fun. Like, the ultimate uh, result was, like, a fun movie. Um, This is so funny. I can't believe the 180s that we all took on this movie. Yeah, it's funny. I, I liked every scene less the second time I watched this movie. Well, maybe we all need to watch it one more time and switch again. Yeah. Get, uh, get a, get a medium I mean, result. he's just such a master of his craft. Every scene is done flawlessly. Um, and, and that's I, true, I, I guess, to a certain like, extent. Like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna credit the director, you've gotta credit them for directing. And he is in control 100% of every moment of that film. Uh, and that's a rarity like he had to earn that he had to earn that over years of great films for especially for you know, bob richardson for leonardo dicaprio for brad pitt to do whatever he wanted you have to earn that because you have to trust that these scenes are going to work um and like he's just he's he's really good at it now like he's he's always been a good filmmaker but now he's a master director yeah. Yep. I agree with that. Um, I think uh, to your chagrin, Jeremy, Django is the film where I realized that. But yes, very much so for this. Um, my number five is Joanna Hogg for The Souvenir. Man, I can't believe the nominations this movie's getting. I mean, I liked this movie fine, but this is. I understand. I understand what you're saying, Lee. But, and I think, uh, but what I, what I would say to this is like, Imagine this. She's 
50 something and this is the story that the souvenir portrays as a autobiographical part of her life um and imagine someone is telling you this story and trying to illustrate to you the significance that this moment in their life had on them and i think joanna hogg does it in such a powerful way she invites you in yeah you you that's have to, what i struggled with i think to, i don't i think you're right but I just don't think I responded to it. Yeah, in that and way. I, I responded I understand to Honey that. Boy way more so than I understand that. I totally that. understand that. But you, 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 she, she takes a step back. She lets you kind of um, get hypnotized by her filmmaking. You kind of fall into it. You have to pay a close attention. You have to lean forward. You have to sort of observe everything that's happening to understand to get like a um, a leg up on Honor Swinton-Byrne's character um, and. I, I, I thought her directing was powerful, you know, and, uh, yeah. Okay. My number four, right? Mm-hmm. My number four is Trey Edward Schultz for Waves. Um, Honorable mention for me. I have a couple a couple things here. The, the one thing that I want to point out that's really interesting, and he does it in at least two of his three movies. I think he maybe does it in all of them, and I just think it's a really interesting thing that he does, but it's so effective here is he gradually changes the aspect ratio of his frame throughout the movie. Yep. And which I mentioned. Yeah, he does it here that and it's this you see the aspect ratio closing in on Tyler in the first half and the it's literally like the world is closing in around him. And then you open on the next half of this movie with Taylor Russell's character and she's trapped in this closed world. But it and it starts to open as, back up. Yeah. And it's just such a beautiful piece of symbolism in the directing of this movie that what I did, thought What was did so you great. think of like the cinematography and the lighting and the look? I thought this. it was awesome. I mean, it, it didn't awesome. make my list, but it was so good. Yeah. Um, the most important point I have to make with his direction, I have to be a little careful with here because, Chapin, you haven't seen the movie. So I'm going to try to rephrase this as to not spoil anything. But... There, there's people. There there's no some people ways. having some issues with this movie because there, there's some controversy with the fact that Trey Edward Schultz is a white director telling this story, and you could interpret it a certain way. And oh, I can see, see the I, potential. I, I problem didn't even here. know this. This is all news to me. So this is well. Interesting. You can see, but you can see the potential problem here. And, and Jeremy, we could talk about it more off offline. But he structures this movie in a way that it plays out. Are you talking the, about like how Lucas Hedges' character? A couple things. You ha- what happens to Tyler? Yeah. You know, and then also what Lucas Hedges provides to right Taylor Russell's character. Like all of these things, oh, I can man. understand the potential problem here, and yeah. I, I know this is probably not real interesting listening for anybody who hasn't seen the movie. But he structures this movie in a way that this. It plays out the way it has to happen. So this is the story he's telling, and I think it works. And I think he doesn't shy away from the story he wants to tell because of how somebody might respond to it. And I think we need more of that. I think we have. I think filmmakers need to stop worrying about playing things safe. And when they don't play things safe, they get really impactful movies like Waves. And I have to credit him so much for doing that. For a director who's made two other movies other than this, is still young, is younger than us, which I have to admit frustrates the hell out of me. But you got like 
yeah, I know that's the yeah all these great directors that are younger than us, which we're going to start seeing more and more as we keep getting older, unfortunately. But what a great job! Yeah, no, he was he did an amazing job, and he's an honorable mention for me. And like that controversy, this literally wouldn't have crossed my mind had you not brought it up. There's no reason for it to be a controversy um this movie like you said it plays out like it needs to play out i wouldn't have thought of it that way at at all um so that's interesting and that's what i'm crediting him for is that he the things that exist that could cause controversy in this movie shouldn't be controversial because it's it's play he structures his movie as so it plays that way that's just what the movie is all right um am i up number four uh, Martin Scorsese, The Irishman. Who? Martin, uh, did I not pronounce that yeah, right? I'll I never get heard the, of him. Uh, Google up. Uh, so this is Scorsese's most reflective movie, I want to say. Um, I love that he's dealing with this idea of a life's work and was it worth it? Like, it's interesting to me that he, as a director, is so known for his, you know, gangster movies and um, sort of portraying them as something that people want to be a part of. Whereas here, he has a movie that um, he's doing, I guess, the opposite of that, um, and and showing that like. This life is not necessarily worth worth leading, and and not only that, but like once you get older, you really question um, everything you've sort of done. And I, I love the reflective nature of this movie. I've never felt a movie capture that more than The Irishman. Mm. And it's important because I think no matter what it is, whether you're a mafia hitman or you're just somebody's grandmother, at the end of your life, you're going to reflect on it. And what that feeling is for somebody who's our age or younger or um, even slightly older, it's, it, you just, it, how do you know what that feels like? How do you capture that? Uh, and he does here. Like, he puts it in a bottle for you. And I think that's really amazing that he does that. And it works on that level, and it works on the level of him as a filmmaker and De Niro and Pesci as actors. Um, and it works on the level of glorifying the mafia or not glorifying the mafia. Like, it really is quite an achievement in that way. And that's what I appreciated the most about this film. Is that your number four? That is. And what was your number five? I'm sorry. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. Right, of course. Yeah, I'm glad those two are on your list, especially Scorsese. Um, The Irishman won't be on any any of my picks going forward, but um, that third act is so powerful in that movie. And I, I, you know, I wish I have a lot of thoughts about the Irishman, and I wish it was a little more of an efficient film. Um, I, I, I had this, I thought about this, like, The Irishman is kind of like listening to an old man that you respect telling a story. You know, he goes on a little long. You don't want to interrupt him. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, you're glad you listened, and there's a powerful lesson at the end of it, but it may not have been. But am, am I alone in feeling this sort of reflectiveness and understanding, uh, like, when you get older? Like, it's very specific to aging. Yes, I think no, that that absolutely. is there. I don't think that's one of the movie's best qualities. Oh, I think, oh, it's, I think, I think it's, it's the is best the quality. Yeah. yeah. No, I. All right. Well, we'll get maybe talk more about that. But okay, who's up? Me? Am I up? Your number four, Chapin. Is it me or is it you, Lee? I'm sorry. I, I did my Chapin, four. You're ending this round. Oh, right. That's right. Okay. Um, my number four is Ari Aster for Midsommar. Really interesting. Wow, man. I have to I, say that uh, the revisit for this movie was very powerful for me. Um, and he is a master. He's got control over every second of this film. Um, and you know, I, I actually, I had some problems with the screenplay ultimately. Um, I wasn't as big yeah. a fan of, of Florence Pugh's performance in this as you guys were. Um, but I, I ultimately think that this Man. film was really, um, I won't tell her you said that. Jay, don't tell her I said that. Don't tell her, please. <laughs> um, I mean, she's already won a fixie. This film was so powerful for me. And I am, I, you know, we, we, we all kind of like, we're like, we, we all saw Hereditary last year and we're like, oh man, like there's something here, you know, there's something with this director. We didn't necessarily completely love that movie, but we knew there was something here. And this movie was that realization of it for me. Um, and it was so different and so creepy and so, and ultimately I don't think this movie is a horror movie. Ultimately, I think this movie is something else. And I, I was so surprised about that when I first saw it, that it had to come in that second viewing to really understand what he was doing. And I found it so powerful. I'm really excited to see where he goes moving forward. Yeah. I'm like halfway with you. I mean, I agree. Like he has something and my revisit of this movie the first half or the first two thirds uh, I was really really enjoying and the end lost me again just like the end of Hereditary lost me and I would be more excited to see what he had coming if I wasn't sort of halfway convinced now that he's going to keep losing me with his uh, but I think, know, I think the ending outrageous is so endings um, I know Jeremy watched this movie like two minutes at a time so it might have been hard to uh, <laughs> might have been hard to um, evaluate no, I mean, yes and no. I mean, obviously I should stick with trying to watch it through, but um, he is a master at tone. Like, there is yeah. just a fucked up tone throughout this movie, even when nothing is scary or nothing is going wrong. He he nails it at the beginning with this horrific act that happens, and then from then until it starts going bad again, I mean, there's a good chunk of time where really the, nothing terrible happens and you're still on the edge of your seat he is a he definitely is a tonal master but uh the move both of those movies hereditary in midsummer uh just don't do it for me end of the day for me to to give him that sort of credit okay my number three is greta gerwig for little women it's also my number three also my number three (laughs) beautiful oh wow look at that greta gerwig right in the middle for all of us (laughs) <laughs> God damn it, Lee. <laughs> uh, only thing I'll say, and I'll turn it over to you guys, is that I feel like even when dealing with an existing work, as she is here, part of the director's job is to bring their own ideas to a movie, and she does this here. And I just really admire that, and I appreciate the ideas that she did bring to it. And we, you know, maybe credit the screenplay some, but she wrote that as well. So everything about this movie 
whether, you know, obviously we're going to credit the actors for their performances, but she has to be credited a little bit. But she had full control over the story she was telling and how she wanted to tell it. It's a movie that's been adapted many times, a story that's been adapted many times. And she felt like there was something else that hadn't been told or she felt like there was a part of her that needed to be infused into it. And she did that and it was apparent and it was effective. Yeah, there's something about how she was able to tonally keep it consistent that's really impressive. Like, you can point to this movie and be like, everybody is on the same page and everybody's doing sort of the same thing and trying to get this agenda across because this movie is positive and it is sort of in a world where we where it's almost not a good thing like to be so uh upbeat or positive or endearing like when a movie's able to pull that off you know somebody's raining raining it in like nobody's allowed to get too dark and nobody's allowed to go go like turn that way so she has such control over it and also what she did with deciding to uh make it non-linear um made a huge difference to this movie um i don't know she she deserves a lot of credit for like keeping it all together yeah yeah it could have been too busy yep i agree with everything you guys said i i just think to make i think the real accolade here is the accessibility of this film um you know we talked about that with uh chalamet's performance but i think overall you know you just you fall in love with the with the the sisters you want to be a part of that family even though they have a lot of struggles and yeah you just really feel endeared to them and i think that that's a really challenging thing to do specifically with a period film and based on a book so yeah good on her her week lee my number two, two. bong joon ho for parasite oh wow number two um, jeremy maybe add some intrigue here uh fernando morales the two popes wow mine is my number two the safty brothers uncut gems all right. So, what are we talking about here? Parasite. Start there. Or do you want uh, to just do? Let's do number ones and see where we go. Yeah. Okay. My Ooh. number one is the Safdie brothers for Uncut Gems. Yes. Uh, my number one is Bong Joon Ho for Parasite. <laughs> my number one is Bong Joon Ho for Parasite. Okay. All right. So why don't we? The one that was sort of an outlier was Fernando Morales for the Two Popes. I, I feel like I said everything I'm going to say about the two popes everything that I said so far all is because of Fer- Fernando Morales and what he's able to do um, so uh, yeah I don't really have much more to add to that list what's really interesting is I think on that podcast I was the highest on his direction um, he was my number five on this list but Jeremy you ended up being your number two yep uh, so We've got, let's go with the Safties. My number one, Chapin, your number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about it. These guys just took so many risks, and they all paid off. Casting Adam Sandler in this role, the ending, their use of music, the way they shot this movie, the fact that it takes place in this very specific w- world of the 
Diamond de- District and Diamond Dealing, and there's not really a whole lot of plot. I just think they took us on a thrill ride and just did a masterful job at it. Yep, I couldn't agree more. You, uh, <clears throat> you're on a ride with them, and they're in full control of your emotions, and you're completely invested, and you have to get off the ride to realize, you know, to sort of analyze it, but mm-hmm. I don't think there was a more... Um, engaging direction this entire year than Uncut Gems. Um, but I will say it was number two because Bong Joon-ho, well, I think, is in more... Can I just more... put my two, please, two please, cents please, in there? Uh, my two cents is I totally agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, and it's just maybe it didn't register to me as much to put it like up higher, like to kick all these other uh, directors off my list to put it but you're right like that that movie is on a non-stop roller coaster ride for a movie that really shouldn't be like why is it and right. it's because of that yep but yeah i mean ultimately i think as i said about that tarantino um anecdote i just think bong jun ho's got so much um the word i just the single word i thought about for parasite was precision um everything was so precise and specific and it just you know you have one plus one equals this and you've got these emotions that come from it and i just felt in completely in the hands of of him um and he's made a fantastic movie um by being very precise you know you get a sense that the uncut gems was a lot of of capturing sort of you know this this incredible sort of energy that happened on set but bong joon ho created everything that's in his frame and i think that's important to acknowledge yeah it's interesting because like uncut gems is the camera trying to capture something in front of it whereas uh parasite Parasite is everything in front of it trying to put it into the camera yep full control i mean start to finish i love that there is elements of Hitchcock in this movie. There's Yorgos Lanthimos humor. There's Tarantino aspects to it. I just think when you when you infuse all the great attributes of some of the best directors dead and alive, then <laughs> you probably got something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that like not only is this structurally so interesting as with with the story and the screenplay and that he's just so in control of every camera movement and what he shows, but he also incorporates, uh, old cinema and, um, other directors in that work. I mean, it's near impossible feat to put those all together and then just present a story that works. Okay. Who's the winner? And the fixie goes to Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Well-deserved. Greta Gerwig in second, Safties in third, Fernando Morelos. Hey guys, this is Katie from Portland, Oregon here with my top five of 2019. At number five, I've got a tie, I'm sorry, Midsommar and the Two Popes. Number four, Little Women. Number three, Knives Out. My top two, I wanted to say something about because they were unlike any movies I had ever seen before. That's partially because I'm in the finance business, not the movie podcasting business, but these two grabbed me and have not let me go. My whole list is a testament to the wildly varied 
and really just spectacular year in film. But these two, to me, reflect a level of both storytelling excellence and directorial achievement that is unparalleled. Number two, I've got Uncut Gems. I knew I was in the bad place when this got no recognition from the Academy. Not even for sound mixing. This movie was so stressful, so unbelievable, so maddening, and yet so bewilderingly enjoyable. It blew my mind. You could say it cut my gems. Just kidding. <laughs> my gems are uncut. Chapin, keep that in. And my reaction to this movie has been fierce, unwavering admiration. At number one, I've got Parasite. This movie had the ensemble energy of Ocean's Eleven, the beauty of Burning, the twists of Clue, the social commentary of Sorry to Bother You. I'm making it sound horrible, but this movie was perfect. I want to watch it every day. I want to watch Bong Joon-ho call the Oscars local every day, for that matter. It's funny and terrifying and desperate and reserved and claustrophobic and expansive and bitter and caring and so remarkably unique. I don't have the expertise like the Get Your Film Fix guys to comment on the technical achievements or directorial prowess or any of the qualities that make this podcast so valuable to me, but I know that I have loved this movie. Okay, guys, welcome back. Best picture. We all have 10 nominations. Lee, you wanted to say something really quickly, so please do. I did. I just wanted to mention this before so I don't forget, but I was thinking uh, before these awards, you know, considering what a good year we all kind of thought 2019 was going to be and the, and the fact that all these categories with the exception of best picture only have five spots. I was really hoping that our picks would vary quite a bit so that a lot of movies could be represented. And it's turned out to be that way. And I'm really happy about that. We've only had one unanimous number one. And I think that's great. I think we've been able to represent a lot of movies and I'm happy because it was so hard keeping some of these things off the list. Um, you know, in some of these acting categories, screenplay, director, and so on. So uh, I think, again, a credit to you guys, to us, for seeing a lot of movies and a credit to the year for having so many so many good things to acknowledge. Brilliant. Okay. Who, who wants to kick us off? Um, well, I can go first because I know... I'll go last. You guys were, you were forcing... You were yeah, forcing we, we forced number, number 10, 10 on, on you, yeah. Um, hang on just a second here. I'm just getting the envelope ready so I have it when it's time. We'll look at it. I'm not looking at it. I wouldn't dare. So my number 10 is Toy Story 4. See, I haven't seen three, so I was worried I wouldn't know what was going on. Well, let me tell you this. It's the exact same plot as three and two and one. But that's not, I, you know, this is still a great movie. It's funny, it's poignant, it's engaging, it's unpredictable, the characters are great. Like, There's not a lot of bad things to say about it. It's my 10th favorite movie of the year. I, I, the reason I was pushing back on you guys to have it listed is I didn't feel like it rose to the level of a Fixie nominee, but we're splitting hairs here. Sure. It's my 10th favorite of the year, so it's my number 10. Did you watch it with Miles? I did not. He's not quite ready for a full-length feature film yet. Okay. So I think it's interesting also, that... Also, he'd be lost. He hasn't seen the first three. Come on. Um, that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so doing our best of the decade made me sort of reevaluate this year and, like, looking at some of those uh, years and how good they were. I'm like, is this year that good? Or, like, where is it going to stand? And I feel like we can't necessarily answer that yet. I no, feel like we wait. need a little bit of time. Because um, I don't know if it stands up to the best years of the decade yet. 
Uh, it's certainly in in the top half, uh, but uh, I just thought that sort of put a little perspective for me on this year. I mean, so much has to factor in how these movies will hold up a year later, five years later. I mean, that's going to play a huge part in that. Totally. Jeremy, go All ahead, right. number 10. No, no, I was number two last time. Okay, uh, my number 10 is um, High Life, directed by Claire Denis. Which I think I mm, talked about a little yeah. bit on the yeah, podcast earlier. Yeah, it's really good. You know, I you know you guys know I love a sci-fi film, um, but this one is really, really smartly done, and it takes some of the elements that I've talked about in loving a, about the film Sunshine and uh, two thousand one, and really just um, you know does something different with them. And it's you know it's a low budget French movie. Um, it's another it's just another Pattinson performance that I absolutely loved. Um, it's really an interesting movie. It's weird, but it's not off-puttingly weird. Um, and it's just everything I love about sci-fi contained into one movie. I love that it's a, a female director. I love that she's French. Um, she's working in English I love here. That she's French. Well, it's just I, like, I love it, French women too. <laughs> there's just a lot of like, you know, avant-garde elements here that um are really powerful and I, I i'd love for you guys to see it and, and tell me what you think but um it's really a powerful movie well i, I, I it's interesting this is on your list so i yorick lasso just missed my list uh for cinematography for little women uh he shot this movie too mm. um cool which i don't know i haven't seen it but i imagine this is a well shot movie it looks it's, it's the gorgeous trailer looks great it's right? gorgeous yeah um all right all right, my number 10 and my number 9 are movies that I just enjoyed. Like I know that I know the problems with them and I know know that they're not going to like necessarily be the ones we talk about in years for 2019, did, but did they I release enjoyed, a Mission Impossible this year? But I just <laughs> enjoyed them. They did not release. Uh, and number yeah, number 10 is Top Gun 2 trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my number 10 God, is... I can't wait for that movie. My number 10 is Ford v. Ferrari. Nice. Um, I'm okay with this. <laughs> it doesn't no, sound I'm, like you I'm are. Glad I am, it, I'm I glad am. it's on somebody's list. Seriously. It was a good movie. And we it was, was a, a good, good movie, movie. And it's it so a, easily in, dismissed. Yeah, but it was an enjoyable movie. It's an easy movie to recommend. Bale and Damon are fantastic in this movie. I mean, we didn't get to mention them in our best of yeah, uh, for acting. I mean, Christian Bale should be mentioned as uh, one of the better performances of the year. It's just been a great year and a tough one to crack. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is a movie I still look fondly back at. I, it's not like it's just totally been dismissed from my mind. Uh, and it, and what I, when I think about it, I think about their chemistry and their relationship. And that's what the heart of that movie is. And that really works. So my number 10. Yeah, no, I, I feel like, and I didn't mean that in a pejorative way that this is an e movie that's easily dismissed. It just is a movie that has been easily dismissed. It's sort of the, it's or it even feels like the outlier in the Oscars best picture category, which is already a joke. Right. So, uh, I appreciate my that this is on your joke? list. It it does feel akin to your Mission Impossible, or though I which one I can't remember which one of you had Mission Ghost, Impossible Ghost Protocol as a uh, no no as Fallout. A, a fallout oh, as a it? as a best picture nominee last year it was one of you guys it was the me movie had way too many nominations but uh <laughs> it does feel a little bit like that in the, in the sense that it's probably gonna be the one we we all probably watch a lot <laughs> uh 
just because it's going to be good with the home theater system set up. Yep. Um, number nine. My right? number nine, right, is the body remembers when the world broke open. What the fuck? Guys, I recommended this movie to you many times, so don't act like you've never heard of it. Available I don't think either on one Netflix. of you watched it. It's on Netflix. Uh, this is a movie uh, that... The body what? The body remembers when the world broke open. Sure. Uh, it is directed by... Um, I gotta pull it up here because it's a bit of a complicated name. Um, Kathleen? Well, no. <laughs> the other one, Kath, Kath, Kathleen Hepburn and, and Ellie Malia. Not Kathleen. Tail, tail Feathers. Yeah. Um, who's a, a native Canadian. Um, I think they're called... What are they? Uh, First Nations or something, I think is what they're called in Canada. Anyway, it's a Canadian film filmed in British Columbia. Like the highly regarded 1917 this movie is filmed in a mock-up oneer and i would argue done more effectively oh wow that's cool i didn't know that i it's in in look it's not technically as impressive as 1917 but i feel like it fits the story better this movie doesn't pull any t- punches it doesn't sugarcoat anything it basically covers a few hours of a stranger meeting a pregnant woman that has uh, that is sort of half trying to escape an abusive boyfriend uh, and the, kind of the lengths that this total stranger goes through to help her and it's actually really nice and like you get this very positive emotional core to it but it doesn't act like this character is a hero it doesn't act like the it sounds the, like it would fit my my motif it has of, a ton a lot of empathy yep a lot of empathy in both characters and you understand where they're both coming from this movie was a real surprise for me i thought it was really nice uh it's a very simple movie again shot in the mock-up one one take uh which i think is unique and effective and well done a movie i would absolutely recommend you guys check out cool i can't wait it's available on netflix it's on Netflix, yep. Great. Um, my number nine is uh, Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Really? Yep. Interesting. I, I'm curious to see... Yeah. Like, I, I'm curious to see how you responded to it and why it's... Because um, it's so, just a hard movie to engage with. Yeah, I just couldn't with this movie. That was my heart, that, It was just hard for me. Sure. Um, so, I gotta be honest, this movie knocked out Atlantics, and I think Atlantics has a more um, cohesive... Um, ending it has a real ending as opposed to this one which doesn't really but i i guess i just kind of feel the opposite that you guys were i was just sort of drawn into this film in a way that i couldn't really understand um and i wasn't very satisfied with the ending you know i don't know that the writing is is that good but the two performances are fantastic um i you know we talked about the photography um that was like two or three days ago right um and, uh, <laughs> yep. but you know, I, I don't know. I, I, there's something kind of, um, timeless about sort of these two gruff men trapped on an Island together. And, um, you know, I, uh, as, as we do with fixies this year, you know, Lee, you watched a couple movies in your car. I know I watched most of this on the, um, the stair, the Stairmaster. Uh, and I, 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 I just <laughs> found myself like chance, yeah. leading forward and just like, I was driving so, by the way too, so, while I was watching. Oh, that. that's very dangerous. <laughs> um, 
and yeah, I just I couldn't pull myself away from it, and I keep thinking about it now. It was a couple you know earlier this week that I watched this or last week or something, and I I can't stop thinking about it. And there's something hypnotic um, that's drawn me in, and um, yeah. Well, I'm glad that we got that perspective here because I, I feel like it's a bit of a polarizing movie. Um, I just I didn't respond to it. I I, I actually sort of liked the ending, the sort of shining esque twist it takes i guess mm. uh but the rest of it i just i it was never hooking me yeah i'm i'm with lee on that i mean i i like i said the cinematography was beautiful and that was sort of keeping me there and the idea that something was going to connect me was keeping me there but like Will by the end was really good when i could understand what he was saying well, they were both good. They were yeah. both good in this movie, but it's just there wasn't that extra thing to really, you know, That's make fine. it work for me. All right. Uh, my number nine was my favorite comedy of the year, or I at least had the funniest scenes for me, and it's Jojo Rabbit. Hmm. Archie um, Yates, man. What? Archie Yates. Oh, my God. There's so... Between Archie Yates, who, <laughs> who plays the the... the portly kid with the glasses who who just he plays a a nazi youth that gets he's full out into the middle of the war (laughs) and he just keeps showing up and then he's he's just like i just they just can't kill me and he's so happy for jojo that he's made friends with that he's like quote unquote has a girlfriend that's a jew he says, oh, that's great yeah. that you got a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the performance by the director, uh, Taka Watiti, uh, he plays Hitler in it. Um, man, like, and then Stephen Merchant's cameo where he comes in and he sees uh, JoJo's uh, yeah. uh, book about, uh, he, he starts writing a book about Jews and he sees uh, that he's like, oh, they're just hanging like bats. Look at him. <laughs> it's it's i mean the comedy is like right up our alley it's like you know it's kind of off his comedy kind of it's, yeah. it's 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 really really funny i mean the thing you can say that doesn't work about this movie is because it's so sort of light-hearted in one note that it doesn't sort of engage you on sort of any other level i mean it's pretty simplistic this is wrong this is bad um i'm gonna you know i'm gonna find a jewish girl in the attic and uh, befriend her and become you know like brother and sister to her um but you know like life is beautiful uh it's in that sort of same vein um Whereas I think Life is Beautiful works on a sort of deeper level, whereas this is just hilarious, but one note. Um, but it was enjoyable. It is such a fun movie yeah. to watch. Um, and like I said, it's just some of the funniest scenes of the year. This was the hard, hard one. Like Chapin was asking if he should watch this. And we, you know, we try to answer these questions. for each- We try to recommend movies to each other closing in on the fixies without giving away whether or not they'll be on our lists. And Jojo Rabbit was so difficult because it didn't get any nominations for me. It's got a couple. It got one to Scarlett Johansson from Jeremy and a Best Picture nomination. But it was, I felt the same way. I'm like, this movie is good. This movie is funny. I ha- it's really enjoyable. I don't know that it will rise to a fixie nomination, but it might for you guys. So like, it was one of those that was really hard to say, yeah, 
spend your two hours watching this. Here's here's how watch this instead of waves. But, you know, this is what's interesting about this movie. It's like, does it need to take place during Nazi Germany? Like, is that really that important for this movie? It's important for my Scarlett Johansson um, nomination, but it's not important for the funny scenes. Like, the funny scenes are kind of independent of the situation, which just means he's a funny writer, a funny director. You get people like Stephen Merchant. Like, so, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's obviously what the movie is and it you you ha- you connect to that aspect of it i mean the fact that um uh what's his name um what's his name Lee? the little boy there uh rt yates like yeah. goes oh yeah turns out hitler he was he was keeping things from us he turns out not to be a great guy like I, I definitely mean, not a good time to be a nazi yeah <laughs> i mean that that mean like that part of it like yeah that joke works because of where it is but it's also like there's just a lot of great comedic talent um involved in this uh and it's just an enjoyable watch chapin i'm curious what you think of this movie it, it didn't work for me at all no not really none of those scenes work um but i bought it for, with... i bought it for 20 dollars, so i'll have a chance to revisit it for the next <laughs> 70 years do you do you notice that whenever we have to buy movies they're never good the ones we can rent they all those always work fine oh, good but this one cost me 20 bucks no i mean why didn't those i may not have, like, I may I not have been in the right mood for it to be honest but um you know i'm yeah but I think we spent enough time on it, so let's. I also think Thomas and Mackenzie is just adorable. I lo- I love her. I think she's fantastic. Okay, uh, Lee, what's your number eight? My number eight is The Nightingale. Uh, I'm not sure how this movie worked for you guys. I haven't really been able to figure it out quite. As we've talked about some performances and some things like that throughout this movie. I mean, I thought the intensity of this movie, where this movie starts, what happens, and where it goes, all worked. And yeah, it's an intense movie. It's a tough watch, but also, oddly, it's enjoyable. The story is interesting. It keeps you going. It keeps you interested. I do think it's a little too long. Probably could have used another edit. Yeah. But ultimately, I thought this was good. It's a lot like The Revenant. Honestly, like this would have been higher on my list. Um, It didn't make my my top 10, but I I honestly just felt this film, and I think also, ironically... um, uh, last black man in San Francisco that the, the bad guys, the kind of the colonial white dudes <laughs> in different yeah. parts of their lives were a little just, they were just way too one dimensional, especially in this yeah. film. Sam Clayton's character was just like literally just like a yelling, angry rapist. And he had absolutely yeah. no um, dimension to his character. And I think that would have made this movie a lot more powerful. You know, you got, I agree. you got a little bit of that with the, the guy who probably should have been played by, um, uh, what's his name from, uh, the, uh, Brian, what's that Irish actor's name? Who's in, um, uh, who's in the star Wars movies. He's the red, he's in ex Mahina. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know he should have played Donald Gleason. Donald Gleason should have played that character. Like, Oh, I'm dying. But, uh, but, but, uh, you know, there was a little bit of that with, with that character, but it's just like, you know, 
this powerful film was happening and then you're like, oh, who are they rooting against? Of course these guys are evil. They're, you know, raping the land. They're raping these women. They're just awful in every respect and you don't... Um, so there's just a lack of dimension there, but the the, the relationship between her and um, her aboriginal guide, um, <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Bikali Ganabar. Yeah. yeah, I want to throw some credit his way, his, his debut performance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the reason it didn't work for me was exactly what you were saying, Chapin. It's just, too, it was too one-dimensional and it was too uh, rough to watch in a weird way. It was just like, if you're gonna be, if you're, if you're gonna go there, try to balance it out. Yeah, and yeah, it didn't. Totally, totally. Um, my number eight is the souvenir. Wow, I love that you love this movie as much as you do because it just—it's my number eleven. Like, yeah. you just missed this. Yeah, you know, I, I watched it and I was a little—it was a little—it's a little slow. It's long, like a lot, every movie this year. Um, but I was haunted by it after I after I had seen it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, you know, it's about a filmmaker. Ultimately this, it's a very autobiographical film. Um, and you know, she's making the world's worst student film, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you still feel for her. Um, I, you know, Cause we, we've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> we've all been there. Um, um, but there was almost something idealistic. Like I was like, man, this is, you know, we all have been to film school and I, I kind of wanted to go to British film school. Like this, it looks incredible. Like it's, it looks very indulgent. And you know, you're thinking a lot about your, your personal life that her, her teachers are asking her about that. And meanwhile, she's got this horrific thing happening to her and her, her personal life. And, um, I don't know. I'd recommend everybody give it, give it a try. It's a hard, it's a hard watch for sure. But man, I, uh, what I, what I think is interesting is honor swinton burn um apparently didn't get a script she had yeah, she right, had right, to right. improvise uh based on uh i guess the diary of the director mm. so everybody else had sort of a basis of a script and where the scene was going where she just kind of knew the uh director's life um and had to react based on her knowledge of that yeah, I mean, and Which I think it's really unique. Yeah, something to point out here with the Nightingale and the souvenir, um, and what I wanted to mention, I forgot about my top five best actresses. All those performances were directed by women. These are two really strong films directed by women, um, and I'm sure there'll be another one directed by women. But I, I think a great year. You know, there's still a lot of progress to be made there, um, but I think a really standout year for female directors, especially directing movies. You know, about about things that are very personal to them and so i recommend that um in that regard as well i do think that with the nightingale that the most brutal movie of the year was totally oh totally completely completely i I just don't want that point that you just made chapin to get missed that's sort of amazing about your best actress nominees yeah uh all all directed by by women sarah ronan directed by greta gerwig um mame sane from maddie dia ashling franchosi from uh, Jennifer Kent, Honor, Swinton Byrne, Joanna Hogg, and Caitlin Deavers, Olivia Wilde. Yeah, I mean, it just shows that, you know, women understand female experiences. Obviously, that should be, be done a lot more. We all know that. Right. Um, That's yeah. great. Okay, so, uh, Jeremy, so, you're number eight. Yeah, so you know how The Souvenir was that movie that you watched and maybe, like, it didn't didn't totally get you at first, but it just wouldn't leave you? Mm-hmm. Um, my number eight is that same movie, and it's The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Nice. Um, 
like my initial watching of it, I enjoyed it and I sort of was processing it. Uh, but I just really can't leave. I, I can't leave these two characters and what they what they were looking to accomplish in this movie and how important this house was to them. Yeah. Um, and sort of this feeling of getting left behind. And I think that's an important part of this movie. Um, and I, I feel like not only them getting left behind, but sort of their neighborhood, San Francisco, what they grew up as, San Francisco is all getting left behind and in kind of getting lost to history. Yep. And that's the part that sort of really sticks with me um, is the helplessness of just not being able to capture your culture and and what you grew up with. Um, like, I don't know. You can, Obviously, gentrification is part of the, the theme of this movie and part of the story of this movie. But it's it's also interesting to think about. Like I grew up in a in a house that's in a small town, and I can't imagine just like all of a sudden like that that area just totally being removed and like there's it changing and like losing my land and losing like what that would feel like and what you know. And I think this movie really captures that well. Um, and also, I want to note while I'm talking about this movie as my number eight, it is my f- uh, favorite musical moment of the year is in this movie, too. Um, Are you going to San Francisco? Correct. Montage? Oh, yes. So I've watched that like t- 10 times. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Sung by it's the amazing. Guy who got, who's got five on it, which is really cool. Yeah. Right. And they um, sort of allude to that. I, um, yeah. I mean, but, when, yeah. I, when I watched this movie, I mean, this has been a year for me of, of socially conscious movies. And um, I don't think it worked quite as well for me as it did for you, Jeremy. But when I watched it, I was like, I, I do not want to be part of gentrification. Yeah, but <laughs> in, you are. In any we regard. all are. We all are, of course. But yeah. um, it's like I, I, I just felt so strongly about that while watching it. And, and I think it was so effective in that regard for me. Lebo. My number seven, seven is Uncut Gems. That's amazing to me. That's only your the way you've been talking about it. I I really thought it was going to be a speaks, top three. Speaks to the quality of the year. I mean, mm. this is a an experience that has and and look, this movie has exponentially grown on me since I left the theater, and it's probably going to keep doing that. So if we were to do these fixies a week from now or a year from now, maybe it'd be higher, but. Um, this has been a great year, so it's number seven. I mean, this was maybe unlike any movie we've ever seen before. I mean, not that we've never seen a visceral, chaotic movie, but one that puts the pieces together like this, I'm not sure has ever been so effective. I mean, this movie is so equal to the sum of its parts. There are scenes that maybe don't work. There's moments where I felt uncomfortable. You know, I I liked Adam Sandler a lot in this movie, but I wasn't as high on him as you guys. But as an experience, as a visceral, intense, chaotic experience, and then the end of this movie, everything working up to that and justifying that, I think is just fantastic. Okay. Uh, My number seven is The Two Popes. 
So that's interesting because I was also like in doing this, I was looking back on our podcast and wondering like which ones we kind of all agreed on. Like there's very few this year. We all sort of just like, yeah, this movie universally loved. Yeah. Yeah. And the two popes, one of them. So I'm surprised not to see it higher on your list. Yeah. What's your number seven? Uh, My number seven is waves. Ugh. Um, I'm so glad at least one of you watched this. It's interesting because uh, to that point, Lee, like the first 30 minutes of this movie is not great. It was not that exciting. Yeah. Well, I didn't like I could tell the direction was good and the cinematography was good and it was trying to go somewhere. But it was about a student athlete whose dad is pressuring him too much, who's injured. Um, I thought he was going to get like addicted to Oxycontin. I was ready to, uh, there was points where I was, you know, I was rolling my eyes and I was like, fucking Lee with his another kid drug movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I was ready to text the group, especially you, Chapin, be like, see Jojo Rabbit instead of Waves. Um, Which is what I did. did. What I did. I don't need another like. Oh, the sun goes down this path of drugs and alcohol, and uh, the dad (sighs) tries to bring him back, and like I was just like, oh, we get it. You have a son, like. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not where this movie goes at all. Um, This this movie, as we mentioned, it 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 tells the uh, it starts with the journey of this son. Um, the kid's name's Tyler. He's a wrestler. He has an injured shoulder. Um, and, uh, it, it gets really dark really fast, but never in a way where you're you're like, this is unrealistic. And I think a lot of credit has to be, go to the direction as far as like, just constantly, um, bombarding you with these colors and this, the movement and all this stuff where, even once it goes from this sort of ideal family to things starting to go off the rails, it still has the same feel, but a little darker. And you kind of, and then all of a sudden you're halfway through the movie and it switches perspectives on you. Um, and then becomes the sister's perspective, who obviously I'm mesmerized by Taylor Russell's performance in this. Um, and really, I think this is what elevates that mo- this movie to the next level for me uh, is her half of the story because again there's that empathetic half and and the half about how to sort of recover from these terrible tragedies and 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 that sort of thing so anyhow uh that's why this movie worked for me and um I'm curious where it's going to land on Lee's list didn't make it for fuck's sake. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, number six, Lee. My number six. Wait, 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 wait. Toy Story 4. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Waves may show up again. My number six is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, a lot of what Jeremy said is exactly how I feel. This movie really just stuck with me and would not let go. I didn't totally love it the first time, but something kept telling me to watch it again, so mm. I did and it grew on me and continued to grow on me and it's actually one of the one of the movies that I've sort of watched little bits and pieces of uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks like I said I've watched that are you going to San Francisco montage like 10 times um, the, a point and a theme that 
neither of you guys mentioned that I, I, I think is really nice about this movie is nostalgia. And it's definitely not the main theme. I don't even know if it's a top five theme, but I just, I really liked it about this movie. There's a, you know, there's a stretch of this movie where, well, there's a lot of it where you, you obviously see Jimmy's, uh, remembrance of this house and like how fondly he remembers it and how, you know, how much he wants to hold on to that. But then you also see kind of his father's ambivalence to that house. And maybe that time that Jimmy's remembering so fondly wasn't great. And I think that really registered with me and really was relatable for me. Like I just think so nostalgically on my life growing up and, uh, you know, I, I certainly had a, a good upbringing, but Obviously, there were things that didn't go well. There were times and that you know were worse than others, and probably things that I didn't even understand as a child. And I think that's something that this movie captures too. And I just think what an effort by a, a rookie director, Joe Talbot, you know, some rookie actors to make a movie so beautiful and so deep and so layered, and have all these really relevant themes. Uh, we've all touched on a few different ones that worked for us, and I think that's a, a sign of a great, great movie. Nice. Okay, uh, my number six is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wow. Okay. God damn it. So I, I, this I think th- it's yeah. I think you're the only one that's going to have this on their list. This, yeah, well, I'm glad to say I'm glad to, that it is because I think it's very interesting that Scorsese and Tarantino released you know two very critically lauded and important films in 2019 and they're not on any of our top fives pretty significant we don't know that well i thought you said it wasn't i said uh this movie okay oh sorry 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 okay well we've we've talked all about this movie i i've said enough i i really enjoyed it on the second film on the second but you're right they're not on my top five. okay on the second <laughs> on the second view um I actually think this is one of I think this is his most mature work um, and I really hope that it's not his second to last movie you know he's got one more in him he's not doing the Star Trek movie which you know I've been saying since the beginning so he's got another movie to come out hopefully we'll still be doing the podcast to review it and I hope it's on his last movie because I think this one shows a lot of promise it may not be his most compelling it may not be his most you know wholly satisfying film um, but I really enjoyed it and um, yeah I think uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what he does next yeah, I mean, it's Taran- it's Tarantino. Yeah, like what we're are always you- <laughs> excited for what's we're next. We're always going to be excited for what's next. And like I like obviously Lee and I have switched perspectives on this movie, so who knows like if you can trust anything we say. Um, <laughs> it, um, so but, this isn't on any. This hasn't been on your list yet, right? For for your best picture. Yeah. No, it's no. Okay. And it's not going to make my list. Okay. Um. But I really enjoyed it, and I liked it. So, what's your number, your six? number six, Jeremy? Uh, that movie, the other movie you were talking about, is The Irishman. Oh wow! Okay, that's uh, my I think number. I, that's my number five. Okay, so I think I said what I really, Lee. I oh yeah, but you rewatched it. Um, I I think I said really what I needed to say with the Martin Scorsese uh, pick for my number four. Um, for best director, the reflectiveness of it. Um, so I don't really have anything extra to add to that. But this movie did it, it did impact me, uh, 
you know, when I watched it as far as that aspect of it. Um, yeah, my number five is The Irishman. I rewatched this once, start to finish, not all at once, but start to finish. And then I've, I've been watching it a third time over the course of the last month or so, just sort of every now and then putting it back on and picking it up where I left off. And I just find myself every time I do that really excited and interested to watch these characters. And I think it took that second viewing to really appreciate what all the actors and what Scorsese are, is doing with these characters. And it is different. I've mentioned that. It's different than what we've seen from all of these guys before. And I think the theme that I like most, the thing that really sticks with me is not so much the you know, reflection on their life, but watching how life unfolds for all these characters and it's all just so out of their control. Like, none of them seem to have a grasp on what they're doing next. It just all sort of starts happening. And then maybe the reflection piece ties into that. They're looking back and saying, how did this happen? How did I end up doing all this? I didn't feel like I was trying to be this person and, you know, not have a relationship with my family or whatever it may be. Uh, Everything else in this movie besides that, though, is just sort of peripheral. I think Scorsese does a good job with a lot of things. I think he handles sort of the bloated aspects of this movie pretty well. He actually really creatively covers, you know, a lot of information in a creative way. Unlike Tarantino in Once Upon a Time, he doesn't use voiceover to get from B to C. He uses... Oh, yeah, Scorsese's never used voiceover. I'm not saying voiceover is bad. I'm saying in this movie, he does... And he uses voiceover in this movie, but he does a good job of showing us scenes. The example I'll use is when he's got sort of this war going on that involves their wives and how Jimmy Hoffa's wife gets fired and then as a result, they blow up somebody's car and then they blow up somebody else's car. And he's using voiceover during all that too, but he's just showing it to us in an interesting way, instead of just having voiceover on top of Leo walking through an airport. Um, but I don't, I don't want to compare the films too much. I just think that Scorsese has a bloated film here. I think he has a flawed film here, but I do think that he does a pretty good job at f- focusing on the important pieces, which is these characters and what's happening to them and how it's affecting their lives. And I just responded to that, and I found it to be kind of rewatchable. It's long. I don't know how many times I'm going to ever watch this movie start to finish again, but I feel like I can watch pieces of it at a time. It's sort of nicely suited for Netflix, surprisingly, for that reason. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number five is Midsommar. Man, I that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I liked... Th- this movie enough, but I just, the end just lost me. It was the rewatch for me. Um, that really did it. Uh, number five. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Jeremy. Uh, you want my number five, please? Uh, it's uncut gems, uncut gems. I wasn't expecting to love this movie. I was, you were super excited about it. Uh, Yeah. But for some reason, like, after the fact, like maybe it's something I heard or whatever, I just wasn't like going into it being like, yeah, this is going to work for me. Um, 
I describe this movie like watching the fourth quarter of an AFC championship game uh, with the Patriots. I mean, <laughs> remember you when are, we used to be able to do that? Yeah. Well, you're just like on the edge of your seat. I mean, when he's betting on the Celtics, it's uh, so fun. Yeah. <laughs> like I, it might as well have been watching Tom Brady driving down the field <laughs> to win the fucking Super Bowl because I'm like, ah, and it's like I know. Uh, it's in the past and it already happened like it's because somehow you care for this character um you are on the edge of your seat throughout this whole movie and it's really like if you go to describe this movie you're and say oh wow yeah it's an edge of the uh, uh seat thriller and somebody's like oh great are they like trying to murder him or like uh, like and it's like no he's just he's uh trying to uh, buy jewelry and uh, Kevin Garnett comes in and tries to buy an opal and uh, <laughs> you know and then he goes to his kids play but uh, <laughs> does owe some money uh, around town but nobody's really trying to kill him it's just and you, they'd be like what are you talking like why is that exciting it is it's there it all works um, yeah so Uncut Gems my number five yeah, you know that movie's powerful when it gets me back into basketball, which I haven't. And by the way, into. Kevin Garnett was great. So good. It's so, <laughs> so crazy, I know. Okay. Uh Lee, My number four. Your number four, please. The Two Popes. The Two Popes. We've talked a lot about this movie, which I'm really happy about. I think this is a great movie. I have always really liked these kind of simple. Would you guys pieces. say this is our our most surprising? movie of the year for sure like because it because hasn't I gotten think, an incredible amount of attention really but yeah. also when we were going to do when we were going to do the episode we we're like what should we do uh the two popes is out do we want like it was like uh all right that's the thing that's easiest to do at this point let's do it and then here it is leaves yeah. number four yeah well I, I remember too i don't remember how we got talking about fernando morales but we were talking about him in relation to city of God. And then Chapin, you just sort of casually mentioned, he's like, Oh, he has this movie called the two popes coming out this year. And I was just like, eh, okay. Probably won't see that. Yeah. And here it is. Um, Chapin's up. Chapin. Number four. My number four is marriage story by Noah Baumbach. I know wow, you guys, I know man. it's not going to be on your guys's lists. Um, but you know, you don't know that. Do you know what I have to say about this film is that, um, it made me go back and want to, it made, I, I, first of all, I watched it twice, you know, not with any, not with any trying to like, Oh, I want more perspective for the fixies. I just wanted to watch it again. Um, I went back and I watched, uh, squid in the whale twice. Um, after seeing this film, I watched the Meyerowitz stories. I watched part of, um, Francis ha, I you know I I just I wanted everything Bombuck and I think that that speaks to the power of this movie. I, I I get the flaws. I totally understand your guys's reluctance to put this film higher or to like this film. Um, but it really made me think about me and my relationship and and you know my me as a man. Is this <laughs> why you're not getting married? This yeah, and so. Ultimately, I'm here to announce that I will not be going to get married ever. <laughs> no, but it, it, it just had a, a powerful effect on me. Um, it's a flawed film, absolutely, but um, it's one that I, I, I honestly I think was, uh, you know, w- for me, 
last year the favorite was kind of the 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 definitive film of that year it was my number six so it didn't rank super high for some reason marriage story is my definitive movie of this year even though so it's number four. marriage story is the opposite of everything that is the definitive thing for me this year okay no but i mean like like I've been talking this whole time about just yeah, empathy, empathy and, and all this you said stuff. That on like the, I, yeah, you said that on the podcast. It was not an empathetic film for you. Yeah. What's your number right. four? The Two Popes. Whoa. Right. Unanimous number fours. Well, um, it was your number seven, wasn't it? My number seven, yeah. But I mean for you guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> for us too. <laughs> yeah, for you too. <laughs> I don't know what what else to say about this movie at this point. Um other than it just works like anyone who's hesitant to watch this movie because it's about um to one cat one catholic uh bishop and a pope like just watch it it's it it works i've it's recommended amazing. it to people at work and someone was like oh god i'm not i don't i'm not a catholic i'm not gonna enjoy this i'm like trust just me right. trust that's, it. yeah i'm the least that's catholic the person in the world you will enjoy it i promise you it it's not it's not an engaging uh subject matter but the movie's great yeah so, Lee, you're number three. Okay, so before I say my number three, I, I'm just going to tell you that ranking my number three and my number two was the hardest decision I had to make this year. Yeah, that was a tough one for me. Hardest well. decision I had to make. And, you know, I feel like these are tied, but you can't have a tie. I stand by my decisions and where these are ranked. My number three is Waves. Mm. <clears throat> Damn it. I've said a wow. lot about this movie. I loved it. I thought it was... Amazing. I agree with Jeremy. I was watching the first half hour of this and I was not totally getting into it. And I was like, okay, where's this going to take me? Like, I'm going to stick with it. And then I felt, I feel like I blinked and I just, this movie just took over me. I started this movie relatively late in the evening, not planning on watching the whole thing and could not shut it off. Watched the whole thing, went to bed way too late. And that was me last night. Yep. Yeah. See, I, I was like, I can watch Jojo Rabbit and Waves, but then I watched Jojo Rabbit and I was like, you know what? I should get some sleep for the fixies. And then I did. I mean, I just wholeheartedly recommend this movie to everybody. Chapin, you should watch it tonight. Okay. And um, I, I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, but yes. Okay. My number three. Amazing. My number three is Little Women. That is also my number three. Okay. Yeah. I mean. Um, and it's my number two. Oh, brilliant. Uh, geez, are we going to have unanimous? Okay. Um, I, I just found this film so enjoyable, so fun, so effervescent, so refreshing, even though it's an older story. Um, it's just, you know, was what, I think what, our podcast speaks for itself. Yeah. yeah. Go back and listen to the podcast. We were, it was perfect. Yeah. And the performances. I mean, it's one, three fixies. Yep. That's my number two. Okay. Chapin, your number two? Parasite. Oh, man, I have no oh, wow. idea what's coming. Jeremy, number All two? All right. Well, this was tough for me. My number three and my number two were back and forth, but I stuck with my gut of how I felt when I left the theater and the ride that this movie took me on. I know it's not going to be on anybody else's list, list but it is 1917. Ugh. What? Number two? Number two of the year. I mean, at the time oh. when I left the theater, I debated if it was my number one. I really enjoyed this movie. Oh, my God. Okay. Javen, let's talk off air about replacing Jeremy. Okay. 
Lee, what's, what's, your, what's your number one? Parasite. Why are you upset about that? Is that That's your, my number one. Is that I'm yours so too, Jeremy? My number one is Parasite. Nice. Um, my, uh, number Tape one, in. Uncut Gems. Oh, okay. Oh. Man. So, should we talk about this or should I reveal the winner? Well, I think we don't we have much more to say about these movies, I guess. I think it's got to be Parasite, right? It's got to be Parasite. It's going to be the winner. Two number ones and a number two. So, guys, I'm going to announce the winner, but I'm going to preface it with something. Yeah. That this is two years in a row that a foreign language film has won Best Picture at the Fixies. Parasite, 29 points. Well... I, I mean, Parasite, again, but with the two popes and Little Women, those were the three podcasts where we all agreed the most. Yeah, Little Women was second, Uncut Gems was third, Two Popes was fourth. One, say, say only one, one, more, one unanimous... One say that one more time, Lee. Uh, Parasite, 29 points, first place, winner. Little Women, 25 points. Uncut Gems, 20 points. Two Popes, 18 points. Yeah. Uh, but the real winner of the year was Chernobyl. Right. <laughs> yes. Had Chernobyl been a film? <laughs> um, let's see what else. Uh, let's see if there's any other interesting statistics here. Um, yeah, well, we should say um, Palmer and Associates put together, obviously, the winners for this list, but also a list of interesting facts. So I hope you'll read those for us, Lee. I'm going to do it right now. So first and foremost... Despite being on the West Coast, Chapin was the first to get his nominations into Palmer and Associates. Wow, well, he probably had time to watch Waves. Yeah, he could have watched Waves. <laughs> Who knows how that would have changed things. Florence Pugh had the most nominations with, th- with three. Mm-hmm. Two for Best Actress and one for Supporting Actress. All three of you had Greta Gerwig as number three in the director. We knew that. Most competitive category. Um... I mean, obviously, we had a tie with cinematography. Three films had 11 points. All three appeared on two lists, and both Parasite and Last Plant, Black Man in San Francisco, were number one film on uh, on a list, resulting in a tie. Um, least competitive category was Best Actress, Saoirse Ronan, unanimous winner. Best Actor category had only seven different performances nominated. That's interesting. And movie with most varied acting nominations. Oh, Parasite had five different performances nominated. Wow. Incredible. All right, so going back to Best Picture, um, what do we have? Uh, so we only have a couple runners-up, right? Like For Best Picture? Yeah. Little Women, Uncut Gems, and Two Popes. Yeah. I'd, I'd be curious to see where Last Black Man waves in Uncut. Oh, you said that. Well, Last Black Man had uh, five, eight points. Um, Waves ended up with uh, 12 points. So. Wow. All right. Man, well, we did it, guys. Oh, uh, man. Well, one thing we do, I do look forward to this year is uh, reviewing the 20th anniversary of the year 2000. And, yeah, that's uh, going to be determining fun. whether yeah. or not that may, in fact, have been a better year than 1999. Yeah, we've got a couple of great segments coming up. So we'll do the 20th anniversary of, of movies from 2000, uh, 2000, which, of course, I think has a lot of great years. I'm looking forward especially to Almost Famous and High Fidelity. 
Um, yes. Which I just saw they're making a TV show of High Fidelity. On yeah. Don't watch it. Yes. Um, with um, Zoe Kravitz. I've heard, and the ratings are in, um, the Just Effing Watch at Rio Bravo has done very well. And so I think we'll continue with that. Um, I'd love to do some Tarkovsky. I think it'd be good to do some... Um, we talked a little bit about maybe doing. Uh, I know you've already seen it, Lee, but um, the drumming movie. Some movie called Whiplash. 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 Um, and I think you know, going back and looking at some really, um, you know, filmmakers who have been lauded and, and, and important, but maybe we haven't really visited their work. I think that'll be really exciting. And of course, watching the movies that come out week to week. So this is going to be an interesting year, guys. And I think we're on track to have another, you know. Really great year. Good work. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.